Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Let's just rest for a moment in the Lord's presence, just for a few few minutes. I'm not going to kind of make anything happen here or anything like that. We're just going to stand and just let the the music play. But the Lord's here, and it is a new year. And yet there's so many needs in our hearts, so many needs in, in this room, and so many households missing this morning because of sickness and so many difficult winters are happening and yet there's so much to be thankful for and the Lord continues to work. Maybe you could join me in a prayer that the Lord would just be with us this morning, the Lord would meet us just individually where we're at and and would just breathe on us. And, and, and I mean these words when I say them, that the Lord would teach us to fall in love with Him again this year. That we would have eyes to comprehend, to see differently again the beauty of Christ, the pure light that guides us. Lord, we need you. We need your light in bright days and dark days, Lord. And as we stand on the threshold of 23, 24, we just want to acknowledge your name and join with heaven's song and the beautiful language that describes the throne room where the angels and the elders cast down their crowns before you and bless the name of Jesus and say worthy is the lamb that was slain such strange language and yet Lord we want to confess today that you were the one who sacrificed yourself Lord in love And you're the one that we believe is worthy of our lives, worthy of our following. Where we've wandered, where we've grown cold, where we're lukewarm to it, we pray for forgiveness and ask you, Spirit of God, would you awaken us, open our eyes to your beauty, that grace would just wash over us this morning, that shame would have no word in this house. And Lord, that you would lead us forward in this year in good things. Bless us as a community. Bless the the families that aren't here because of sickness. Bless their homes with recovery and health and rejuvenation and your peace. And Lord, we just pray that more than anything, Lord, that you would teach us to to fall in love with you, Lord. to see your beauty, your wonder this year, to have our hearts enlarged, to have our affections raised, that would cut through all of the kind of gray and say, Lord, that you are worthy, you're beautiful, you're the one that I am tethered to, that I'm anchored to, I can trust you and I follow you with all of my heart. May our lips confess your beauty your faithfulness, your grace. And we all pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Happy New Year, everyone. I hope everyone has had a, a nice Christmas and um, Happy New Year uh, to you. Just a big thanks to Fra and Lucas for leading us beautifully. Can we maybe honour them? I don't know where they are, but just uh, thank you for... It's always nice to, be, to begin our time together in worship. I was ref- actually thinking about um, the fact that... So last year, we did a little bit of research into this building that we, we're in. 101 Donegal Street, and um, 1804 was the year that the, there was a church community here, and it just struck me that it's 200 years in 2024, is that right? So 200, 220 years? I've completely wrecked the whole opening to this sermon, <laughs> because my maths is terrible. Didn't think of it that long enough. Um, the four through me, but 220 years, it's a nice right number of of, you could say, day and night, night and day, you know, some form of, of worship in this particular piece of soil here. And I can imagine, perhaps it's something just to hold in your mind, um, not only that I messed up the maths, but maybe as we come to worship every Sunday um, this year, just imagine what this place might have been like 220 years ago and the fact that there has been this steady presence of of Christians, of, G- of Jesus followers, of worshippers of, of the Lord here. And I think it's kind of part of our, our, our privilege, I think, to take, continue that mantle, to continue that legacy, that there's a worshipping community of people that love Jesus and are, are, are seeking to do their best by, by following Jesus in this particular place. So maybe hold that in your heads every Sunday as we come this year to, to worship. And it's not 200 years, it's 220. I feel so embarrassed now. <laughs> Um, I'm aware that there's like lots of sickness as well, um, so we, as Ian has already mentioned, and we've been praying for us, so let's be praying for people at the moment, there's people really down with that, I'm sure some of you have been touched by illness, I was in the Royal Victoria the last couple of nights just seeing my, my grandfather, he's 92, he's coming to the end of his um, life and I appreciate your prayers over our family just as it He's kind of got pneumonia and, you know, I'm not sure how things are going to go. But I've been struck as preparing today to talk about prayer. Um, we're continuing our Practice in the Way series. I think the slide might come up. Nine, nine practices that rid us um, in the way of Jesus as we seek to serve our world. And we've, we looked at Sabbath for a whole month in November. We're now kind of opening up uh, a month looking at prayer. I'm going to just jump straight into it, week one today, but it's my grandfather who, you know, he's, 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 he's lived his life and he got to meet my son Isaac, who's four weeks old, and you kind of, there's, there's a lot of time difference between their two lives, but the thing about my grandfather, I think his legacy um, is, is that he's a, pray, he's a praying, I've always been struck by, he's a quiet man, a man of few words, um, <clears throat> but uh, a man of prayer. And I just, that's just what I, I mean, that's just who he is. So um, he's, he's, he wouldn't say much when we gather as a family, but he's always the one to kind of bless the family as we leave. You know, he prayed at Beth and, and my wedding. Um, the first words that I saw him in the ED and on the Royal on Friday night were like the ironic blessing <laughs> that he has memorized. He can barely see or hear anything, but he actually was speaking that ironic blessing just over me after I whispered in his ear that I was there. And um, yeah, I'm really, really struck by that. Um, because for me, for me I, I guess, 
prayer is a bit of a, dra- a bit of a drag. Actually, prayer is difficult. I don't know if you find that. Um, it can feel like a, a, a duty. Um, but f- for my grandfather, and maybe you know people like him, you know, um, there are there's some people. Prayer is, it's just not like that at all. It's nearly like a delight. It's just something perhaps they would speak differently to it if they were to talk about their, how they formed a, a whole life of prayer. And it's, it's kind of, it's a tricky subject, a difficult subject, but it's, I don't know, for many years, I think I've kind of struggled with the, the duty element of prayer. It's something you do. And yet, ironically, it's kind of one of the most important kind of things that we do. Jesus talks about it. We're going to get into it this morning. And yet, I was never really taught how to pray. Uh, never, no one really ever taught. I don't know if you've had someone, someone teach you to pray. But I think... Generally speaking, today I think maybe this resonates that we're just we are very busy. It is it's hard to find time to pray, and when we do, it can be difficult to focus, and our attention is so split. Um, we get distracted by our to do lists. There's a there's a writer Robert Mulholland once said we spend um, prayer is kind of like spending our time worrying about life in God's direction, just like worrying. As prayer is worry in God's direction, it's like that's pretty much the. the start and end of it. And it can feel like you're kind of talking maybe to yourself, maybe prayer for you is a little bit like that Santa list to the, or to the sky Santa, or the, the, the kind of to-do list to the sky Santa. We have kind of these excuses or these difficulties, these challenges with prayer. And, you know, we've all got responsibilities. We've got our, our jobs. We've got our families to look after. And we can then feel some kind of, I don't know if you've experienced this, some kind of guilt because we kind of know that it's part of part of the spiritual life um, and I think for a, lot of, for a lot of us perhaps, maybe I'm misspeaking when I say this, it's kind of, <laughs> we know it's good for us, it's kind of like eating the vegetables we don't like we know it's good for us but we don't really want to do it and I know these beautiful vegetables that we really love too so hopefully that metaphor, we don't overextend it um, John Mark Homer when he kind of put this kind of teaching together he, he kind of, he made the point to kind of normalize the day that we live in, the age that we live in, quite possibly one of the most difficult times in, in human history to cultivate a life of prayer because of the way that I suppose we're just so overly stimulated and so distracted um, on our attention. The eyeballs are always being advertised to and drawn in a million different places. And we, I don't want to overplay the whole smartphone thing. We've heard it a million times, but it is a difficult thing for our generation, the technology and social media and all of that stuff, urbanization, advertising. The point is, like, it's, it's tough, isn't it, to pray? It's tough to find any time to do anything, never mind to sit down and pray. And when you do pray, you kind of wonder, is it even working? Is there any point to it? Maybe that's not your experience. Maybe today you've, got, you've, you've cultivated a life of prayer and I, I bless you and there's much that we can learn. We St. Teresa of Avilia actually said, the quote will come up, actually when it, when it comes to prayer that we're all beginners, there's a sense that she's like a deep, like a mystic, um, contemplative, <coughs> excuse me. And her, her point there is that it always will feel like that. It's like a, it's like a never-ending well, and so we can resin, we can perhaps relate to that. That no matter how long we go in this life, and no matter how maybe um, diligent we are, or uh, we apply ourselves to cultivating a life of prayer, that we'll always feel like beginners. And yet, life is this portal to the divine, the, the divine life that we're invited into, to 
to God, the life that we crave in the deepest part of us, the deepest part of our being. We identify as a desire for God and we can misidentify it as a desire for something else. Ultimately, it is the end. Prayer is not actually a means. Actually, prayer is the end point for us. Union with Christ, union with, Christ, union with God. It, it's, it's, it's not even the praying. It's the union. That's <laughs> the end point of all that it is to be made in the image of God. And Thankfully, Jesus is our example that we can look to and has a lot to say about it, a lot of wisdom on prayer. So I'd love you to turn to Luke 11. There's Bibles in your uh, tables. You've got, I'm sure, a smartphone in your pocket and there's a, it'll be on the screen too. Luke 11. Um, and Jesus, it said in, in verse 1 of Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. So we're dropping into like a story Something's happening here. We're dropping in. Jesus is praying in a certain place. And it's like a run, it's a running theme in Luke's gospel that we see Jesus praying in a certain place. For example, Luke 5, um, 15 and 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Or Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the day praying to God. Or in Luke 9, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and went up a mountain to pray. And here he is again in Luke 1, or Luke, sorry, Luke 11, verse 1, praying. And if we keep reading, it says, When he finished, one of his disciples turned to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples, which is a really fascinating request from the disciples when they they see Jesus praying and then they ask him to, to teach them. But it's interesting because I suppose the, he did, the disciples aren't asking Christ in this moment to teach them how to heal the sick or cast out demons or, or perform miracles. They're specifically asking him to teach them how to pray. I guess there's a theory from some scholars that would say, you know, perhaps that is because they just observed Jesus' life because they were living life with Jesus. They were seeing something in, this, in the life of this rabbi, this Jesus that we love, that we fought, seek to follow. In his daily prayer, something about his daily prayer rhythm that Luke even mentions, they're seeing that and they're, they're realizing that Jesus' outer life, his ministry is somehow connected to this withdrawal in times of prayer and they want to know how, how, what's the secret? How, how do we do this? So they ask him. It kind of reminds me of that image, intimacy in action, if you've got it there. Like we talk a little bit about that dynamic here in Redeemer, you know, the, the fact that the, our outer life, our outer work in the world is so connected to our inner life. Like intimacy with the divine leads to life, serving the world around us and being the hands and feet of Christ and I suppose this whole series, this whole practicing the way thing is all about rooting us in practices that help cultivate that top bit that we could become in communion with God so much that it actually flows out of us and it's not linear, it's cyclical, it's kind of an in out. There's something about Jesus' life that kind of had that dynamic and the disciples are looking at Christ every day, looking at Jesus, their rabbi, they're following. Lord, teach us how to pray um, so if you're ready to apprentice under Rabbi Jesus in his school of prayer, 
then here is what he has to say. How, what, what, what to pray and how to pray. I suppose we're going to look at both of those right now. Uh, the first part, what Jesus teaches, goes on to teach his disciples to pray. Verse 2 of Luke 11. When you pray, say our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Protestants call that the Lord's Prayer. Catholics call that the Our Father. Um, and it's not just like a liturgy or a pre-made prayer, which it is, but it's also deeply theological. What Jesus teaches his disciples, it's, it's, like, it's, a, it's an orientation for, for prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a, it's a way of coming before God. We're going to look at that now. A lot of people equate prayer with asking God for big things. But while asking for something from God is... <laughs> but while asking for, for God for, some, for something is part of prayer, there's a lot more to prayer than just that. And notice Jesus doesn't actually mention that in, in this passage. He doesn't mention that in the Lord's Prayer um, until halfway through it. The first half of it is totally orientation of the soul it's not asking God for anything it's an orientation let's look at four kind of theological kind of truths that we can pull out from the Lord's prayer that are like Jesus framework for prayer and this is kind of helpful for us as we kind of begin a new year it's kind of like just it's basic stuff but it's really good stuff first God is our father first reflection our father, or an Aramaic Abba, what a child would call their dad, their daddy. In Jesus' day, it was a revolutionary way to address Yahweh, God. There's a New Testament scholar called Joachim Jeremias, and he argues that there's not a single example in the whole of the scriptures that use the word Abba to address God, not, not in the Jewish literature. There's not one piece of evidence of that. So it was kind of really unique and quite radical for Jesus to use that language, Abba, our Father, to open this prayer. Particularly, he's praying this to teach his disciples. They've asked him, teach us, Lord. Really, really interesting. Yet it was the way Jesus addressed God. He, he thought of God as, as, as a father and he, He's teaching his apprentices, his disciples, to do the same. And it's, that can be difficult for us. I'm going to acknowledge that too. I want to address that. That can be difficult for us as we approach God to use father language. For some of us, because of difficult relationships that we may have with our human fathers. Some of you maybe have a difficult relationship with a human father. And we have to acknowledge that. That is, that is something that we just have to name. But for Jesus, what comes to mind when he teaches his disciples to pray is this about God. And I guess it can really kind of make or break 
our relationship with prayer, I suppose, to try to like get around how we come before the Lord, this orientation of the heart. John Tyson says, until you break the false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. For many of us, the journey into a deep life of prayer must begin with like a healing of our images of God. The image that comes to mind when we think of God, those images, there's a healing that needs to come to those before we can really kind of enter into a life of prayer. And that healing is a journey. And I know many of us here are on that too, where things have been done in the name of God that have distorted the image of God in our minds. And that is, that is, that is the enemy stealing something from us. So my prayer to you this morning, to us that are struggling with images of God in our mind, would be that the Spirit would come and help heal and restore and give us pure sight of who God really is and bring healing to those parts of us that we may continue in communion with, with God. If you see God as a, an angry tyrant in the sky, mad at you, mad at the world, waiting to pull you up as a kind of cosmic life coach or someone that can just make you happy, whatever the image is that's kind of got a distortion to it, we'll, we'll just not be able to move forward in prayer until we kind of reconcile that until we see some healing until we have a sight that is pure and kind of there's a revelation of the divine that I believe the spirit can give us but if we can can come to see God as Abba as Father then we can move forward there's a whole new story there um, when I get home from, from, from work Owen he's not coming up to me and calling me Pastor Dave <laughs> in the house he's He's running up. He's running up, and he's shouting, "Dave!" No, he's not. He's, he's shouting, "Daddy!" Um, he actually did learn that I'm called Dave over Christmas, which is quite funny. Sometimes he did, "Dave!" No, um, he runs up to me and, and calls me "Daddy." Um, "Daddy, um, can we do this? Can we do that? Will you come play? Come with me? Whatever it might be." And it's beautiful to see. Because they know, even though I'm not perfect, he knows that I am his dad and that I have a welcoming heart, a good intentions toward him. And that's what Jesus teaches his disciples, that when it comes to prayer, when it comes to approaching God, that God is a father who has a welcoming heart and has good intentions. He has a good will towards you. And anything that you've been taught that would say otherwise is from the pit of hell. I will not pull any punches. It is from the pit of hell. The Lord loves you. His disposition towards you is love. And his intentions for you are only good. 100% from top to bottom. The primary emotional word for God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, rakum, means compassionate. And in the Hebrew, it's referring to the feeling that as a father, or actually, specifically as a mother, the kind of love, the kind of mercy, the kind of compassion that a mother might have toward their infant child. And so you already see like a reconfiguration of what this means for the divine to be a parent to us. Fatherly, motherly, compassionate, 
delightful in us, tender care, our Father. That's the first theological point, God is Father. Second is God is as close as the air because he says to his disciples, pray our Father in heaven. If you read the footnote in many Bibles, you'll read that, I suppose, um, Luke's prayer is shorter than others and some ancient manuscripts add on like the full, the full amount in, in a different way. So your Bible might read slightly differently. But heaven, our Father who art in heaven, is a tricky word. Heaven is in the English. Um, when people read heaven, we think, of course, of that kind of place far in the sky, you know, um, all the theology and hymns about that. that you'll go somewhere else to be in heaven with God. And yet the truth is that in the Greek, the word is Uranus, which is actually plural, which actually means like the air. Hear it this way. Our Father in the air, all around us, in our lungs, against our skin, in our blood, that is how close our Father, our Mother the Lord is to us. He's not distant, but he is close and he is in the air. Jesus is teaching his disciples that when we come to God in prayer, he is not far away, but he is closer to us than ourselves, which is an interesting way to think about it. So it's the second theological reflection. God is as close as they are. The third, the first goal of prayer is the worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. So the next line, hallowed be your name. It's another tricky word to translate in English. Because hallow means to revere, to respect the holiness of God. And to be holy means to be unique, to be special, and to be beautiful. And so to say that God is holy is to say that there is no other being in the cosmos more radiant than, than God. Tim Keller says this in his book about prayer. It's hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. So when you start to pray, to commune with God and you begin to enter into the, the inner life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they share in love and peace among them. So you realize there's like a, a beauty there and that the radiant beauty and that there's an invitation to be caught up in that beauty. Um, you can't help but desire when you, when you see the beauty of Christ, when you see be- the beauty of God, you can't help but desire for others to see it as well. And I kind of maybe want to just linger on this point for a wee minute because this, I think this particular point has really helped my faith in recent years. Um, I'm going to just, I'll just be, I'll, I'll say it. It was probably the teaching that came through our friend Brian Zahn's book, Beauty Will Save the World. Um, but the Eastern Orthodox Church particularly have a huge emphasis on the beauty of the gospel, that beauty will save the world, that there's, there is something otherworldly and wonderful and beautiful about the love that is demonstrated, the divine love that is demonstrated in the life of Christ. And I'd recommend that book if you want to go further. Um, it's partly why the church has such a rich history of, of art and of uh, exploring 
the beauty in our world, which is a signpost to the life of the divine. And this is what I guess Tim Keller was saying about prayer, that there's it's not only like a hallowing of the holiness or the otherness of God, but just the beauty of, of God that so much to be, there's so much awe and wonder to have when we, when we really do see what God is all about. And we can get caught up in it and we want others to see it. N.T. Wright translates, hallowed be your name this way. He says, may you be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole cosmos resound with your praise. May the whole world be freed from injustice, disfigurement, sin, and death. And here is Jesus in, in loving worship of his father when he's teaching his disciples to pray this way. Think about how different that is the way we've been maybe been taught what prayer is all about. Um, the, the, the kind of getting things from God, the kind of shopping list prayers or make me happy prayers. Um, perhaps it's one of the reasons why we struggle with prayer so much that we just maybe have failed to see that it starts with this this worship and this seeing of the beauty of Christ and this being caught up in, in beauty that's other otherworldly. But Jesus, the first goal of prayer is to enter into the beauty of God. And when we do that, you can't help but desire the world around you to experience that same beauty. So that's the third theological reflection on the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father that it is the worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. And the fourth and final ref reflection is this, that our prayers really do make a difference because Jesus' next line is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice that Jesus assumes that his kingdom has not yet come and that his will is not yet done in part, yes, but not in full. And he assumes that, th he assume Jesus assumes through prayer that we get to partner with, with him. We get to partner with God to bend reality in the direction of God's good intentions. If, if we're looking to figure out what prayer is, we need to look at how Jesus thought about prayer. And this is the fourth reflection. He, he believes that our prayers do make a difference. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We get to partner in somehow, mysteriously. I don't have the answers to it. There's something about prayer that helps bend reality in the direction of God's good intentions. And I don't know, I don't know more to say about that because that is, opens up a million questions, I'm sure. But this is what we see when Jesus is teaching his disciples. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There is this element from Jesus that prayer really makes a difference. There's a lot that could be said about the Lord's Prayer in addition to what we've just looked at. Think of how different though these four reflections are from, as I've said, different views we've, had, we, we've maybe had of, of God, how we maybe have approached God. Maybe we can think about God as the, as the kind of grumpy dictator or the cosmic vending machine, not as father. Maybe we think that God's far away in outer space, not close like the air that we're breathing right now. Maybe we think the main point of prayer is to get something from God. That's the vending machine part. Not to delight in God. And maybe 
we assume that what's going to happen is going to happen with or without our prayers and that prayer doesn't actually make a difference. So no wonder we struggle with prayer and no wonder we avoid it. When we kind of have been taught maybe that, we've got that kind of understanding of prayer from wherever and we're kind of left with this thing's broken, don't even know what's the point. And Jesus teaches his disciples a whole different way. It's about talking to to God. And it can feel perhaps really liberating to some of you. Perhaps it does feel a little overwhelming because where do you start? Where do, where do we start to kind of deconstruct those views of God and, and put back together like a healthy kind of cultivation of prayer in our lives in a way that is life-giving, in a way that we, we really are praying in the way Jesus would have us to pray? That's what we pray. Here's the last part of our teaching this morning, which is the the how Jesus teaches us to pray. He does not start by teaching us to say whatever's on our minds. I think that's probably the default way that I was taught to pray. Extemporaneous prayer. Let's just pray whatever comes into my head. And that is actually so beautiful. Like we can pray pray our hearts, we can pray our own words. It is a vital part of prayer and intimacy. But to cultivate a life of prayer, to shape a life of prayer, we need kind of more with that. We need kind of scaffolding to help us. And this is the scaffolding that Jesus is helping to provide as he teaches. He starts by saying, when you pray, say. And he gives you some words. (laughs) N.T. Wright, or sorry, NT, a New Testament scholar, Scott McKnight, says that verse two can be translated, when you pray, recite this. So there's something about recital, which is kind of part of this whole part of the church that has liturgies and recitals and prayers that Jesus is kind of teaching this. He's, he's tapping into first century Jewish custom of praying memorized or pre-made prayers. Have you ever kind of tr- wanted to pray kind of set your heart about praying and you had no idea where to begin. You sit down, you're like, I have no idea how to start. This, this is something that's really been a, really a, a key thing for me as I've begun to understand prayer in recent years is, is to not even wait, kind of waste time on that bit because I don't really know where to start and then you never do start. Actually just give myself over to prayers that are already written, to words that are already written and it kind of helps Put oil in the cogs. This is what Jesus is saying about talking to God actually can mean praying pre-made prayers. Praying something that someone else has written. Or in this case, prayers that are handed down throughout the centuries. There's some examples on the screen behind. The Lord's Prayer is there. We can pray the Lord's Prayer. Just pray that prayer. I know there's a tradition, particularly in churches that are part of the 24-7 network to pray the, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father at midday, every day. And maybe that's an idea to set the clock, the alarm clock on your phone at midday and just pray the, prayer, pray the Lord's Prayer. There's the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible. And they're not designed to be read, but they're designed to be prayed. Scripture itself, you can actually pray Scripture. There's singing, which is a form of prayer. 
St. Augustine actually famously said, to sing is to pray twice. And I was really, it was a beautiful time of worship that Fran Lucas led us in. Just felt like when you get into the presence of the Lord in worship, it's, it's, it feels like a time of prayer. It's like the, cause you can nearly feel the prayers in the room, the hearts in the room, and the Spirit is there. It is like sweet incense as we were literally singing. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't think of modern worship as liturgical, but it is. It's deeply liturgical. There's a whole liturg- way to it. I could talk all day about that. Pre-written songs and prayers are a beautiful way of praying. And there's liturgy itself, the historic streams of the Christian church, whether it's the Catholic or Eastern Orthodox church, the Book of Common Prayer, the liturgy of the hours, something I've kind of been learning over recent years. I know some of you also do too. The Celtic Daily Prayer is a brilliant resource. Liturgy itself. And then finally, our apps on our phones that kind of help us, give us prayers that we can pray. There should be no, no shame at all. In fact, I would implore us, if we struggle with prayer, just pick something out of some of those and kind of run with it. Pray some, even if you don't feel it. We're a generation who kind of need to feel it before we start. And I want to say, no, you don't. You might not even feel it, but just put the words in front of you and pray them and let the words animate you. They will activate you. They will become, they will animate prayer within you. They will have a, they will work on your heart. They will warm the stubbornness and the hardness they will, they will help. They will be like scaffolding. Don't start with by coming to prayer and just thinking, where do I begin? And I have no words and I don't know how to pray. And I would implore you, if prayer is difficult, to pick a resource, open a scripture, open a psalm, and just, just pray it. And you might not feel anything. And close that book and trust that it has done something to your soul. And the next day, do the same. That's the way to begin to cultivate a life of prayer. We make it really difficult in the evangelical kind of stream of the church, which kind of we're coming out of. We make it difficult, I think, with prayer, that it's all got to be kind of from the heart and extemporaneous prayer, our own words. And that is a huge part of prayer. And please do that. But if you don't have any words and you don't have any feelings, then please do find a little resource that might help and just dig into it. Just let it be stabilizers or scaffolding or a way for you to engage simply in prayer. Beautiful ways of praying that Jesus taught his disciples. And this type of prayer is really helpful in a number of different situations. You'll see on the screen, when you're learning to pray, resources like this can be really helpful. When you're traveling and you're away from a daily rhythm of prayer, resources can be really a really helpful thing to help cultivate that habit. When you're exhausted and you can't focus your mind or you've got a little baby or a little child that you're looking after and you're tired and you haven't slept, there's many of us in, in, the, in, in the church at, the, at that point of, in that stage of life, it's a demanding season with school or study or work. Then a simple psalm, something simple to help us is exactly what we need and Jesus teaches us when we're emotionally or physically unwell, these pre-made prayers can really help. When we're looking for a greater articulation in prayer, when we're looking for words to help us, 
prayer, pre-made prayers can be so, so helpful and can actually help us express our hearts more fully than our own words can. And when you're in what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul, a season where you don't feel God's presence like you used to, pre-made prayers are really helpful. I've talked about this before, but I had a particular season that I would call a dark night of the soul quite a number of years ago, and I had no prayer life. But the way that I was able to cultivate a connection with the Lord was every night I would light a, I would make the, the room completely dark and I would light a candle and I would just meditate on the flame and I would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know how long it took, but over a period of time, I believe that there was some communion with the Lord in those times. And a bunch of other stuff was also happening, like therapy and other things, healthy eating and all of those things. But if you're in a dark night of the soul this morning, don't overcomplicate, just sit. Maybe light a candle and invite the Lord's presence. I really do believe he will meet. James says when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. I really believe that. When you're in these situations, pre-made prayers can be really, really helpful. And there are limitations to it. Of course, they can feel impersonal. They can feel inauthentic or maybe anti-intellectual or whatever, or, or intellectual, depending on the, on the source. It's really, really important that with pre-made prayer, we slow down and bring our heart's intention to it. Otherwise, it can just become completely rote and completely dead. But if we can go on this journey together, if we can open our hearts to God, if we can tap into a quiet power that is running underneath the surface of everything, the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom of God, we can tap into that. I think prayer, perhaps out of all the practices, is the way that we can do that the most. We are praying with the communion of the saints, old and new, and adding our voice to millions around the world and throughout history when we pray. We, pray, we can pray with articulation and theological weight and beauty when we use these prayers. We can guard our minds from distraction and guide it into God's presence and into God's purposes. These pre-made prayers as I said, are like a scaffolding in which we can build a temple in which the Holy Spirit can dwell. A kind of cathedral of worship that we can kind of build just with prayer. And so I suppose there's an invitation as we've opened up this series of prayer. And it's 2024, it's a new year. There's an invitation to us as we journey through this practicing the way together to, to develop some kind of daily prayer rhythm. That's the invitation. To kind of put prayer alongside Sabbath as a practice that we have cultivated, figured out, something that works for us in this season, that we can commune with God. Ronald Rollheiser, who is a beautiful author and a Catholic priest, said there's no bad way to pray and no single starting point for prayer the spiritual masters offer one non-negotiable rule you have to show up for prayer and show up regularly everything else is negotiable 
and respects your unique circumstances. Brilliant, brilliant advice. As we practice prayer, let us remember that the main aim of prayer is not to master a discipline, it's not to master anything, but it is to be mastered, it is to let prayer form us, change us, shape us, master us, ultimately set us free. The point of prayer is to open our hearts towards God, to offer kind of a connection to God, to offer deeper and deeper parts of our life and our world to the Lord so that he might heal, that he might save, that he might move us further down that path into what those mystics, those ancient Christians call union with God. If you read about the life of the mystics and the contemplatives, the prayer life, the prayer time that they have kind of ends up kind of dissipating into this kind of continual union with God that they have a kind of a connection. But in order to get there, it often started with a particular time in the day in which they just set aside a little at a time. Union is the answer to Jesus' own prayer. In John 17, he says this, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. And Gillian of Norwich, she was a 14th century English woman, said this, the whole reason that we pray is to be united into the vision and contemplation of the God to whom we pray. So whether you're going to pray this week, two words, help. Whether you're going to pray Psalm 23, whether you're going to be in the back room doing some Gregorian chant of some kind, just remember that the point of prayer is union with God connection with God. It doesn't really matter how it looks. And while we will never arrive when it comes to prayer, that is the ultimate aim. And prayer is the way to that part, to that union. So that's the invitation. And I can think of no better prayer for us to begin, if you're up for it, than to pray these words to Jesus, Lord, teach me how to pray. Perhaps that's the prayer that we can begin with. I'd love to invite you to stand because we're going to come to the table. So please do stand. The, the meal behind me, as we all know here, is, is this beautiful meal that we share together. The Eucharist Communion and it is the place, it is a place of just that, communion, communing with God. And so I really believe that the Lord is present everywhere. But I really do believe that, that God, the divine, that Christ is present in a particular way at the table. He is here in the bread and in the wine. And so... I don't know where you would place yourself this morning as we've begun a new year, as we've gathered this morning, whether you might find that you're kind of like, yes, I've already ordered the books you've taught, talked about, Dave. I've already got the list of what I'm going to do this week. Or whether you're just like, I don't know, 
Well, whether you're maybe in that dark night of the soul, I just want to invite you all to the table this morning. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to have the words for it. But I think in the coming, the Lord will, will honor that. And I really do believe that there's grace at the table for us. I'd love us to pray together this prayer before we come to the table and before Fra and Lucas lead us in worship, this prayer for communion. The first part I'll read and the second part you can join with me. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more and you who have been here often and you who have not been here for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites you, invites us all to meet him here. Together, loving God, through your goodness, we have this bread and wine and grape juice to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have been made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and share with us now, made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer these gifts and with them ourselves, a single living act of praise. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.